Good morning. The scripture reading this morning will come from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nation shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of of the God of Jacob that that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go to the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall shall they learn war anymore. I woke up this morning and began to read the daily news and like many of you, I noticed that the headlines said things like this, America is in turmoil, a nation divided, riots in cities all over our country. Does God's word have anything to say about the matters that are facing our nation right now? Does it have anything to say about the issues that trouble us? Where can we go for wisdom and for counsel in dealing with the serious and life-altering matters that affect us all? I would suggest to you that Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 is as good a place as any to hear from God, to listen to His voice, and to learn and to gain wisdom. If you have your Bible with you this morning, please open to that passage. We're going to be there for our entire lesson. This is not a PowerPoint lesson. I'm just going to leave the message on the screen behind me, the scripture reading. But get your Bible and follow along with me as we study from God's word. What does God have to say about the issues and the conflicts and the challenges that face so many of us and face our families and our loved ones. The book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus Christ. And 700 years before Jesus Christ, God looked down from heaven and he looked at Judah and Jerusalem. And you know what he saw? Look at Isaiah chapter one, verses 21 and 22. In Isaiah 1 verse 21, God said, looking at Jerusalem, the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, past tense, used to have justice, used to have righteousness, but now murderers. In verse 22 of Isaiah 1, he says, your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companies or companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. God looked down from heaven and he looked at his city, Jerusalem. He looked at his people, the people of Judah, and he said, 
all I see is corruption. All I see is injustice. All I see is bribery, immorality, idolatry. What's God going to do about that? He sees a city where these kinds of things are everywhere. They're pervasive. Verse 24 of Isaiah 1, Therefore the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. Verse 25, I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross. I will take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first, verse 26, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. God's looking at the city of Jerusalem 700 years before Christ and he's saying, I see corruption and I see immorality and I see conflict and I see oppression and I want to change all that. I am going to take those things away from you. That's what God desired because those people were not listening to his word. Those people were not listening to what he had taught them in the law of Moses. He had taught them to defend the fatherless and the widow. He had commanded them to be righteous in all their ways, to use good weights and not to be deceitful. He had taught them those things. And now he saw corruption and he said, I'm going to change that. I'm going to transform that. I'm going to cleanse you, Jerusalem. And that brings us to Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 4. In the midst of this message from God, I'm going to purge away your dross and take away your alloy. God says, there's coming a day when I'm going to change everything. There's coming a day when I'm going to radically transform the way the world works. That's Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 4. And brethren, it is a prophecy about the church. It's a prophecy about the kingdom of our God. That's what Isaiah 2 verses 1 through 4 is. If you're taking notes, jot down these chapters and study them because they will tell you an awful lot about the church and God's intention for it. The following chapters, Isaiah 2, Daniel 2. Daniel 2 tells us about when the church was going to begin in the days of the Roman kings. Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, Joel 2. Joel said, there's coming a day when I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams. He's talking about the establishment of the New Testament church. Isaiah 2, Daniel 2, Joel 2, Acts 2. In Acts chapter 2, the New Testament church is established on the day of Pentecost. And those prophecies that we just referred to, they started to be fulfilled on that day. Acts chapter 2. Ephesians 2. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 tells us what Christ has done in his church. What did Jesus do when he died on the cross? He reconciled both Jew and Gentile into one body by the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches that. James 2. James chapter 2 tells us that it is wrong for anyone who calls himself a child of God 
to treat another person differently on the basis of how he's dressed, of how he appears, of what economic status he might have or you might perceive him to be, it's wrong for us to treat someone differently because of what Christ has done for us. James chapter two. Study those chapters, Isaiah, Daniel, Joel, Acts, Ephesians, James chapter two, and you'll get a flavor of what God's will for his kingdom is all about. Now, look at Isaiah chapter two and read with me again. Isaiah chapter two, verse one, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Who are you talking about, Isaiah? Isaiah says, I'm talking about Judah and Jerusalem, but I'm talking about some things that are going to happen in their future. Notice in the first place, let's ask the question, when? When are the things that you're talking about going to come to pass, Isaiah? In verse two, he says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Notice in Isaiah two, verse two, when we ask the question, when are these things going to happen? When is this prophecy going to be fulfilled? Isaiah tells you, number one, it is certain to happen. It will come to pass. This is going to happen. God has promised it and God does not and cannot lie. Titus chapter one, verse two. But not only is it certain, he gives you the timing of it. Look at Isaiah two, verse two. It shall come to pass in the latter days. You know, a lot of people see that expression and they think that Isaiah is talking about the end of the world. They think that he's talking about some future time from now, the latter days, the end times. That's what they think he's talking about. I suggest to you that if you will study carefully those chapters I just mentioned, you will see Isaiah, when he uses that phrase, the latter days, he's talking about the time when Christ came. He's talking about the time when the church was being established 2000 years ago. Jot down the following passages, if you would, and study them on your own. See if what I'm saying is true. In Daniel chapter two, verse 28, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to make known to you, Daniel 2, 28, the things which will happen in the latter days. And then Daniel begins to talk about the prophecy the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had seen. And he says, it's going to be fulfilled in the days of the Roman Kings, Daniel two, verse 44. So Daniel two, verse 28, the latter days, Daniel two, verse 44, in the days of these Kings, the latter days refers to the days, the times of the Romans, 2000 years ago. And Isaiah is using the very same expression in Isaiah two, verse two. So what are you talking about, Isaiah? When is this going to happen? It's going to happen in the latter days, in the times of the Roman kings, according to Daniel's prophecy. And just hold your finger in Isaiah for a moment and turn over to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. And notice in verse 16 and 17. 
In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the church was being established, Peter stood up and proclaimed that what was see, being seen and done, the miracles that were being done on that occasion, in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. In verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So Peter is saying on the day of Pentecost, 2000 years ago, the things that you're seeing are exactly what Joel prophesied about. The last days have arrived. Acts chapter two. When are the things Isaiah is talking about going to happen? In Isaiah chapter two, verse two. They're going to happen in the last days, in the days when Christ and his apostles are active and working to establish the New Testament church. That's important to keep in mind as we study the remainder of this passage because it helps us to understand exactly what God's doing here. God looked down at Jerusalem and he saw corruption and he saw oppression. And God said, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to change that. When are you going to do it, God? It's going to come to pass in the last days, in the latter times. That's when I'm going to fix this. When will it happen? It'll happen around the time of Christ. Second question to ask as we look at Isaiah 2. What is God going to do? God, you see corruption and oppression. You see all kinds of injustice in Jerusalem. When are you, or what are you going to do about it? Look at Isaiah 2, verse 2, the latter part. It says, in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. There's a geography thing going on here. Jerusalem was built on a hilltop. It wasn't the highest hill around, but the hill where Jerusalem was built came to be known as Zion. That was a way that they just, they named that hill Zion, where Jerusalem was built, the city of David. And God says, there's coming a time in the latter days when that hill, that mountain is going to be the highest mountain around. Higher than Everest, higher than any other mountain, more substantial, more important. He's not speaking literally about literally raising the mountain up to be higher than any other. He's saying in terms of its importance, in terms of the significance of what's going to happen there, there is weight and import to what's going to happen in my house on that mountain in the last days. Did you know that the New Testament church began in the temple? In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the apostles were gathered together, they were in an upper room. There was a mighty rushing wind, at least a sound. Tongues of fire appeared on their heads, and they went into the temple, and they began to preach. And they began to teach the gospel for the very first time. And Isaiah 2 verse 2 is saying, it's going to come to pass in the latter days that that's going to be the most important mountain in the world because my gospel 
is going to go forth from it. And not only that, when you look at the last part of verse 2, it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. The word flow in your Bible there is the Hebrew word for river. River is usually a noun. But in this passage, it is a verb. It's as if God is saying all the nations from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, every ethnicity, all of them will flow, will river to the mountain of God. They will all come to this place. And notice in verse 3, there is an invitation. In verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 2, many shall come and say, and notice the invitation, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So what is God going to do? God's going to make his mountain, the temple in Jerusalem, extremely important because of what's happening there. And people are going to come from every nation and they're going to learn and they're going to grow and they're going to be taught in the ways of the Lord. How are you gonna fix this corruption, this oppression in Jerusalem, O oh God? How are you going to take care of those things? It shall come to pass in the latter days, everything's going to change. Third question, why? Why is God going to do this? Notice in verse three, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all peoples are invited, God says. And the why is found in the middle part of verse 3. Do not overlook these phrases. They are important. He will teach us his ways. Why are we going to the Lord's house? Why are we going to the Lord's mountain? So that God can teach us his ways. We don't know how to live. We don't know how to conduct ourselves. We don't know how to treat our fellow man. He's going to teach us his ways. Then when we learn from him, notice the result in verse three, we shall walk in his paths. Knowledge and learning is useless unless we live it, unless we do something about it. He's going to teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. It's a prophecy about the church. People are going to come to Christ and they're going to learn the ways of God and they're going to walk in the paths of God. That's what's being said in Isaiah 2 and verse 3. And then he gives at the end of verse 3 this observation, this prophecy. For out of Zion, that's the hill where the temple was located, out of Zion shall go forth the law. Now, wait a minute. I thought God gave the law on another mountain. I've read Exodus. When the Israelites came out of Egypt in Exodus 19 and 20, they went to Mount Sinai. And Moses went up on that mountain. And God gave Moses the law on that mountain. That's where the law came from. What are you talking about, Isaiah? Out of Zion shall go forth the law. He's saying there's going to be a new law, a new covenant. 
And that's exactly what Jesus said on the night he was crucified. In Matthew 26, verse 28, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus believed that on Zion, the law was going to go forth. And then it says at the end of verse three, the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. Brethren, this is a prophecy about the New Testament church. Where did your church begin? That's an important question. Some people would have to say, my church began in Rome. My church began in Scotland. My church began in the American Midwest. Where did your church, the church to which you belong, begin? Because Isaiah said 700 years before Christ that the word of the Lord and the law were going to go forth from Jerusalem. I want to be a part of that church, of that group, of that assembly. Where did the church begin? It was going to begin in Jerusalem, God said. We need to listen to the words of the prophets and we need to obey what God has taught. Why? Why did all this happen? Because God wanted to change what was happening in Jerusalem, the corruption and the oppression and the immorality. God wanted those things to be purged. And so he was going to give a new law from Jerusalem. And all nations were going to come and learn of God and be taught of God and walk in his ways. Now look at the result. Verse four, when people come to God and learn from him and are taught in his ways, what is the result? He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. People read that verse and they think he must be talking about some future millennial kingdom where all the nations are going to be subject to Christ and there's going to be no more war. It's going to be a time of peace and everything will be wonderful. And I say that is wrong as it can be. And the reason why it's wrong is because Isaiah 2 verse 4 is connected to Isaiah 2 verse 3. Who is going to be beating their swords into plowshares. Who is going to beat their spear into a pruning hook? It is those who come to the mountain of God and are taught of God and walk in his ways. That's who's going to be beating their swords into plowshares. When I was a kid, I read this verse and I thought, what in the world is a plowshare? What in the world is a pruning hook? You know what those are? Those are agricultural implements, tools. A plowshare is the plow, the part of the plow that digs the furrow, that digs the trench, if you will, out in a field so that a crop can be planted. A pruning hook is like a saw on the end of a long pole where you can reach the fruit in the tree that's up high. In other words, Isaiah is saying, God is saying, I'm going to teach people to stop fighting and start working together. 
I'm going to teach people to put aside the conflict and the rivalries and the prejudices and all the different things that divide people. I'm going to get, get rid of all that when they come to me and learn from me and walk in my ways. And I'm going to teach them to put their swords down and to instead pick up a plowshare and a pruning hook and go to work together. It's a picture of the New Testament church. And notice that it says, nation shall not rise against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Brethren, Jesus Christ is known as the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. The Prince of Peace is coming, and he's going to teach you how to turn your sword into a plowshare. On the night he was to be crucified, Peter took out his sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus touched that man's ear and it grew back and he told Peter to put his sword away because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Matthew 26 and verse 52. And then when you read Ephesians chapter 2, what does it say? He himself, Christ, is our peace. And he has reconciled both Jew and Gentile into one body by means of his cross. He has broken down the division, the dividing wall that kept us apart. Christ and his gospel have made peace. In other words, God is saying to our world today, I have solved the problems that plague your society. I have already offered my solution. The solution is simple. Are you ready for this? It's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. I'm helping Daniel translate back there. The simple solution is this. People need to humble themselves, submit to Christ, come to God and to learn from his ways. That's the solution. And then walk in the ways that we've learned. That's the solution to every problem that plagues our society. That's the solution to every challenge that we face. And so as the New Testament church, what we do with our voice is this. We say God has a plan. God knows how to solve the problems that plague us. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord's house. Let us learn from him and let us walk in his ways. And if we will do that, guess what happens? In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. All of the petty things that divide people, that cause conflict, those become irrelevant because our lives are hidden in Christ. Because we put him on and we want him to be seen and we preach a gospel that says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2 verse 20. I say it another way. The way to solve the challenges that face our nation right now is by losing our identity in his. We're never going to find a solution with the government. 
We're never going to find a solution if we're waiting around for rational people to get together and talk these things out. The way we're gonna find a solution is by saying as one church with one voice, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord's house. He will teach us his ways. Let's listen to him. Let's let his values and his principles and his ideals, let those things permeate our hearts and our spirits. And when we have that kind of attitude, guess what? We become a family. We are brethren. And your skin may be a different color than mine, but we are brethren because of what Jesus has done, because of what God has brought into being. We're family. And we may speak a different language, but we're family. And we may have a different economic status, but we're family. We may be a different gender, but we're family. Because God has broken down the walls that divide the world. And so people read Isaiah 2 verse 4 and they say, well, Brother John, why hasn't that come to pass? Why are nations still fighting? And why are people still rioting in the streets? And why is there still injustice and oppression? And why do those things still exist in our world? If this has all come to pass, why is Isaiah 2 verse 4 not seen in more places? And I answer this, Isaiah 2 verse 4 is not seen enough because people have not come to the mountain of the Lord's house and they have not listened to his voice and they have not decided that they're going to walk in his ways. I'm telling you, God has solved the problems that face our nation. Already solved, already fixed. The only problem that we have, we don't want to submit to what his word tells us to do. Read James chapter two. Tell me if what I'm saying is wrong. The way we treat others is not based on their appearance. It's not based on the things that we see externally. It's not based on what country we came from. The way we treat others has to do with the blood of Christ. There's fellowship and there's familyhood to be found in Christ's blood. That's where our focus and our emphasis, that's where our work is to be done. Take your sword turn it into a plowshare and get busy in the Lord's vineyard. Take your spear, change it into a pruning hook and get busy in God's orchard because I'm telling you there's work to be done. And don't get distressed and distracted by what you see on the news. Is there injustice? Yes. Are there things that ought to concern all of us on many different fronts? Yes but God's given us work to do and he's solved the problem already. That's Isaiah two verses one through four. It's about the New Testament church. The solutions to the world's problems are found brethren in Christ and his gospel, but he's got to get all of us. This can't be something that we just dabble in and say, you know what, I need just a little bit of religion to fix this problem with whatever the issue is. I need just a little bit of Christ to fix just this little problem that I'm having in my life so I can go on and do whatever I want. That's not the way it works. The way it works is I bring my whole self to Christ and I plead for mercy because I'm a sinner and because I need his salvation and his cleansing. And when I do that as his disciple, that's when nation doesn't raise up sword against nation anymore. That's when 
we become at peace because of the Prince of Peace. My challenge to you this morning is this. Won't you come? Won't you come to the mountain of the Lord's house? Won't you let him teach you his ways? And won't you walk according to his footsteps? Won't you do that? That's my invitation to you this morning. If we can help you to obey the gospel, when you participate in baptism, you participate in what Christ himself called the new birth, John 3, verse 5, you're born into a new family, and there is a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living. If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, if we can help you in any way, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?